Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The only thing that is familiar as winning to world-renowned skier Lindsey Vaughn is pain. Pain from rehabbing countless injuries that would end most careers to pain from having doubt in herself and many of her relationships with family and others. But through much of that pain, Vaughn has managed to turn that into a motivation and get back up and keep going down the mountain and keep her eyes on getting back to the Olympics and back healthy. Well, as healthy as someone with all of Lindsey Vaughn's scars can be. All this motivation has allowed Vaughn to continue to rewrite the record books until one day she can achieve her ultimate goal before walking away. The goal of not just being the best female skier ever, but the best skier, period. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Wayne Drays as we talk about the legacy of Lindsey Vaughn. Now we present The Lioness and Winter by Wayne Drays. The Lioness in Winter by Wayne Drays Three weeks before the 2017-2018 World Cup downhill season, Lindsey Vaughn stands at the pulpit of Milton United Methodist Church in Milton, Wisconsin, tears streaming down her cheeks. In her right hand, she clutches her champagne-colored cell phone with the outline of her speech. In her left hand, she squeezes a ball of rolled-up tissues. On this chilly November morning, she isn't just a four-time overall World Cup champion or a head-turning magazine cover star. She's the oldest grandchild of Don Kildo, a Korean War veteran who died 10 days earlier at age 88. It was Grandpa Don who founded the local ski club and introduced the sport to his family. Grandpa Don, who spent his life working in construction, passing on his tireless work ethic to his family. You better become friends with pain, because you're going to have it your entire life, he often said. Two days before Grandpa Don died, Vaughn spoke to him for the last time. During their phone call, she said she missed him, she loved him. He replied the same, adding how proud he was of everything she had accomplished. Now, he was gone, and here was Vaughn in her grandparents' small-town church, grasping for the one emotion Grandpa Don helped instill. Strength. On any other day, Vaughn would be the picture of grit, defiance, and unwavering confidence. She is the winner of 79 World Cup races, more than any other woman. She has overcome blown-out knees, a shattered humerus, a broken ankle, a severed tendon in her hand, a failed marriage, and a complicated relationship with her father to become arguably the greatest skier of all time. But now she couldn't escape to a mountain or pretend everything was fine. Instead, in a simple black dress with her hair pulled back in a bun, tears fell. Her voice cracked. She told stories about her grandfather coming home on sweltering summer afternoons covered in sweat, grease, and a smile. She thanked him for teaching the family to never quit, and she vowed to dedicate her upcoming season, including the 2018 Winter Olympics, to his memory. But if there's one thing to know about Lindsey Vaughn, it's that nothing ever comes easy. 
Eleven days after the funeral on Thanksgiving Eve, Vaughn nestles into the corner of the cream-colored couch in her home in Vail, Colorado. Lucy, her Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, snoozes on her lap. The emotions of her grandfather's death are still raw. She struggles to talk about him without her eyes watering, but she insists she's found peace on the mountain, as always. And right now, with one more week until the start of the upcoming season, she feels as confident on skis as she has in years. She is, without question, one of the most famous athletes in the world. Part of that is her unparalleled success on the mountain. Part of that is her runway model looks. And yes, part of that is the two-plus years she spent dating Tiger Woods. But the heart of her story has little to do with the tabloid details of her personal life or the red carpet snapshots in which her world seems obnoxiously perfect. Instead, it's about a stubborn woman who never met a challenge she could walk away from. A little girl whose family moved halfway across the country and sacrificed everything so she could succeed. And a world champion who seems to have it all but has battled depression. When I'm on the hill, no one can touch me. I'm tough and determined, and I believe in myself, she says. But off the hill, I have a very difficult time feeling confident. I, I just never really feel good enough off the slope. Maybe that's why I love skiing so much. Three of Vaughn's four siblings and her dad have made the trip to Colorado for the holiday, vowing to spend more time together in the wake of Grandpa Don's death. For much of the winter... Family time is rare. I've spent many a Christmas in hotel rooms by myself, she says. It's a far less glamorous life than people realize. On this night, Vaughn's sister, Laura, and brother, Reed, race to see who can dice tomatoes faster. Her father, Alan Kildo, whom everyone calls Big Al, holds court. And her sister, Karen, rags on a magazine story calling fellow American Michaela Schifrin the greatest skier of all time. Schifrin is a 22-year-old prodigy on pace to break many of Vaughn's records, but the greatest-of-all-time label doesn't exactly sit well in these parts. Vaughn responded to the story by tweeting, then later deleting, a screenshot of her accomplishments. Schifrin replied that Vaughn is the unquestioned best ever. You might think such talk wouldn't bother the most decorated woman skier in history. A tour through Vaughn's house is like walking through a ski museum. There are trophies, plates, and medals at every turn, from the custom-built shelves on both sides of her fireplace to the family room cabinets. Upstairs, there are more globe-filled shelves and drawers with medals, ribbons, and cowbells from all the way back to her days as a junior. She's kept it all. Her goal is to finish her career as the best ever man or woman. That means adding to the two Olympic medals she won in Vancouver and breaking Ingemar Stenmark's 29-year-old record of 86 World Cup wins. I need to do it, she says, of eclipsing Stenmark's record. As in, I am not going to stop skiing until I reach that. That's your legacy. That's what people will remember. I don't want to have to say the greatest female skier. I want to say the greatest skier. I've never been in this for second place. Nine days later, less than 100 seconds into the first downhill race of the 2017-2018 season, that confidence 
is gone. Four gates from the finish, Vaughn finds herself in an orange mesh safety fence, screaming for help. She had led the Lake Louise downhill for all five intervals when the slightest technical mistake shifting her weight from the outside edge of her inside ski to the inside edge of her outside ski sent her legs into the splits. Traveling at 64.8 miles per hour, her momentum tossed her into the fence and left her a tangled mess. Like a flapping fish, she says. It was an all-too-familiar scene. In the first 11 years of her career, Vaughn crashed or did not finish in 14 downhill or Super G races. This was her eighth DNF in the past two and a half seasons. Part of it is bad luck, part poor conditions, and part just Lindsay being Lindsay, either unable or unwilling to adjust to her body's limits at age 33. Sometimes I push myself too far, she says. I take a line that is either win or crash, you know? Most of the time, I find that line, but sometimes I go a little overboard. After that happens, she has only one question. When can she get back on the mountain? Even in 2016, when she shattered the humerus in her right arm and couldn't pick up a pencil for months, she never thought about walking away. No way would her family suggest it, either. It's not like it would matter, says her mother, Lindy Lund. That's just who she is. She doesn't care, says Vaughn. I think sometimes about long-term damage, but, you know, I feel like life is short. You have to use whatever you have until it's gone. By the time I retire, they can just stem cell me a new meniscus and do a knee reconstruction and I'll be good to go. I'm counting on the doctors. After untangling herself from the fence in Lake Louise, she begins the full-body survey. Her right knee is throbbing, but intact. Nothing feels broken. She asks Chris Knight, her coach, Was I winning? She doesn't like the answer. She clamps back into her skis, carefully finishes her run, and immediately leaves for treatment. Her right knee looks like a balloon, but she races the next day anyway, finishing 12th. On Sunday in the Super G, she races again. She crashes again. Though the ligaments in her knee are fine, there is damage to her cartilage and meniscus. Of greater concern is her confidence. She wonders whether this is the beginning of the end. She picks up the phone and calls the one man she knows can help. Dad, she says, will you come with me to Europe? There was a time when Alan Kildo was the last man Lindsay would have wanted at the finish. At the World Championship in Bormio, Italy in 2005, she specifically told him not to come. He showed up anyway. Don Kildo's son subscribes to the Lombardi style of coaching. There are two places in a race, he says. First and last. Alan Kildo was a junior national champion himself and had visions of competing in the Olympics when he blew out his knee at age 18, ending his competitive career. As a father, he put his kids on skis when they were toddlers. By five, they started racing. No one loved it more than Lindsay. Her coach initially joked that she was as slow as a turtle, but by the age of 10, she was beating older boys and signing autographs. Two years later, Alan put together a five-year plan to help Lindsay make the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. It involved moving the family from just outside Minneapolis to Vail. Living in Pricey Vale was a stretch. The kids would often sleep on the floor of the condo. There were rules, like never buying groceries that weren't on sale, 
Not until after the following ski season did Lindsay's parents tell the kids they sold the house in Minnesota. They could have handled it better, Vaughn says. We had a great life, and all of a sudden everyone was uprooted and moved into this condo. It was a complete 180, all for me to pursue my dreams. At that point, I knew I had to succeed. Failure wasn't an option. The plan worked. In 2002, at age 17, Vaughn competed in the Salt Lake Olympics and finished sixth in the combined, the best finish for any U.S. woman. People would ask me all the time, says Alan Kildo, "Are you living vicariously through your daughter and your kids?" And I'd say, "Absolutely. Of course, it was great to see someone be able to achieve something I did not." Around the same time, Lindsay met U.S. skier Thomas Vaughn, who was nine years older. Lindsay's dad wasn't a fan, but the more her dad pushed back, the closer the couple grew. They married in 2007. Kildo wasn't invited. I got engaged, and he lost his ass. Vaughn says that was pretty much the end of that. He's really stubborn, as am I. We both dug our feet in, and the six years that were probably the height of my career. I didn't have any connection to my dad at all. It sucked. Kildo says he called and emailed his daughter, but got nothing back. It was very disappointing. He says, "I won't sugarcoat it. You have to realize this is a child who is making a statement about being independent and accept that it's a phase and it's going to pass." And it did. Lindsay and Thomas Vaughn divorced in 2011. During that process. Lindsay called her dad and suggested he come by. We ski together like nothing had ever happened. Kildo says, and our relationship has been great ever since. I like having him in my life more. Vaughn says he's getting older. I'm getting older. I'm just trying to enjoy every minute I have with him. After Vaughn's crash at Lake Louise, Kildo could sense that his daughter's confidence was waning. He reminded her that she was the same world-class skier the day before Lake Louise as she was after. A week later, in San Moritz, Switzerland, Vaughn hit a hole that caused a dislocation of one of her vertebrae. When I went into that trailer, she was lying on the floor, covered in blankets, writhing in pain. Kildo says, she again refused to quit. Beyond the lessons of Grandpa Don. There was the plight of her mother, who'd suffered a stroke and nearly died after giving birth to Lindsay. Says Lund, they would ask me, "What's your baby's name?" and I'd say, "Agatha." It didn't compute. Her left side was paralyzed after the stroke, and she endured months of rehab before being able to live a relatively normal life. She would go on to have four more children, but still walks with a limp. I have so much respect for her, Vaughn says. When I get injured. I think about my mom, and it puts things in perspective. After the back injury in San Moritz, Kildo says his daughter privately wondered whether she would ever win again. All while she was dealing with a social media firestorm after saying she wouldn't accept an invitation to celebrate with President Trump at the White House if she were to win gold at the Olympics. Some cheered her injury in San Moritz, wishing death or paralysis on the skier. It was a bit extreme, she says, but you just have to move on. Two weeks later, in Val d'Isère, France, in the last race before Christmas, she won the Super G. Afterward, she skied to her father and hugged him. They thought of Grandpa Don. She would share later on Instagram tears of joy 
I just did what Dad told me to do. Never ever give up. Love you, Dad. That rage showed her that her time hadn't passed. Kildo says, which I already knew, but she needed to believe it. In late January, at the end of a dimly lit street in the Austrian Alps, Vaughn sits on an ivory leather couch in her motorhome, slicing mushrooms. Her right leg is elevated to her side, wrapped in a brace to ease the swelling from a weekend of racing. The crash in Lake Louise has led to a season of knee nurturing. It's a bit of a war zone in there, she says. There are cartilage chunks and meniscus flaps and little guys just dealing with a lot. That crash kind of sped up the odometer quite a bit. I definitely have fewer miles left than I had before. Knight, Vaughn's coach, says her body is only fifty to sixty percent of what it once was, but fifty to sixty percent still puts her in the top two or three athletes in the world in terms of downhill and super G. Knight says, no question. The races in Vad Klenkirchheim were the ultimate test of Vaughn's win or crash mentality. She's never liked the track, and the course was essentially frozen mashed potatoes. In one training run, a competitor from Bulgaria blew out her knee. Her Olympic hopes over. Four gates into the downhill race, Vaughn started sliding and shifting into do your best mode. The result: twenty seventh place. I was waving the white flag the entire way down. She says. Five hours after the race, Vaughn sits in her RV wearing a baggy black sweatshirt and sweatpants. She is about to take her first bite of chicken curry when she pauses, looks at her trainer to the right and her RV driver to the left, and smiles. Ah, she says, "Sunday family dinner. This is so nice." Life on the road is largely lived in a bubble, with Vaughn mobbed from the moment she arrives at the ski hill until the moment she leaves. At the end of it all, she returns to her hotel room or RV by herself. It's not hard to imagine someone getting lonely or depressed, especially when injured or struggling. Vaughn acknowledges that she's like millions of other people who live with depression. It's one of the reasons she takes Lucy on the road. I have good days and bad days, she says. It's like anything; you take medication for it, and it makes it better, but it doesn't go away. I've learned to understand more of who I am and what I need as a person, but. I'm very aware that I don't know it all, and I don't know myself as well as I could. It's a constant learning process to be a better person and a better athlete. That's all you can do. At some point shortly after 11 a.m. local time on Saturday, February 17th, Lindsey Vaughn will step into the starting gate for the Olympic Super G race at the Jiyong Sion Alpine Center outside Pyeongchang, South Korea, and look to the valley below. A locket with her grandfather's ashes will hang from her neck. A sticker on the back of her helmet will commemorate his initials D L K. She had always imagined taking Grandpa Don back to South Korea, the country he helped defend in the Korean War. At the end of her speech at his memorial service, she began to accept the fact that he will be there in spirit. I know Grandpa won't be missing the upcoming Olympics, she said that day. He will be in the starting gate with me. Vaughn's relationship with the Olympics is complicated. She suffered a vicious crash in 2006 in Torino and needed to be airlifted off the mountain. The next day, barely able to walk, she still finished sixth in the downhill, winning the U.S. Olympic Spirit Award that now sits on her mantle.
In Vancouver, she won gold in the downhill and bronze in the super G. She missed the Sochi Olympics because of a knee injury. So yeah, she says, I've been waiting eight effing years for the Olympics. She's also expected to compete in the downhill and combined. Vaughn's parents, now divorced, will watch from the finish. Her plan is to put everything on the line. That's what Grandpa Don would have demanded, and that's the only thing she can live with. I've only got so many miles left, she says. My account is almost overdrawn, so the plan is to withdraw everything I have in South Korea and gamble it all away. Three races, no fear. Everything I have, either I win or I eat s. It's one of the two. That's all I can do. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Wayne Drays, who is taking a break from packing. I haven't started packing yet. I'm, I'm kind of a last minute packer. What is the go to? What is the go to thing with all your foreign travel? Before I get to Lindsey Vaughn, what is the go to thing you have to bring when you with all your so, international travel? Because you do a lot winter of Winter Olympics, right? Winter Olympics, all the rules of packing are out the window. Mm-hmm. Which usually it's all about bringing as little as you can. Uh, in a carry-on bag and mixing and matching. For uh-huh. the Winter Olympics being outside when it's going to be 10 degrees, uh, there are long johns, there are cold gear shirts, the parkas. I mean, I will have a jam-packed suitcase that will go right up to the weight limit at the airport. I'll pre-weigh it before I leave for the airport and jam as much as I can in there to make sure I don't uh, completely freeze when, uh, when, I, when I'm out there. Yeah, hypothermia is not a really good journalistic no. trait. It's hard also, like things you don't think of uh, when it's really cold. Your phone doesn't often work when you're trying to uh, record interviews. Uh, the pen stops working. Uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of logistical challenges there when you're, uh, you know, trying to uh, interview people and it's, you know, 10 degrees and snowing. I did not actually think of that. The pen yeah. and the phone. Oof. Yeah. I'd call it a yeah. day. I'd be like, oh, should have gone. <laughs> Everyone was right. Should have gone to law school and then just gone home. <laughs> well, let's get into. All things Lindsey Vaughn. Now, this is a fantastic story. Of course, meticulously researched and world-traveled by Wayne. And uh, I find it interesting and in more of like the makeup of Lindsey as opposed to like as opposed to what we see in her records and her accolades. And she does talk about depression and talks about how off the mountain. She lacks confidence, but on it, no one can touch her. Her words, no one can touch me. And now, no, for for sure. And it was part of her strength and perseverance to stay on the to stay on the slopes. Not simply the drive of a champion, but someone who might be a little bit scared to be anywhere else. I don't know if she consciously looks at it that way, but certainly, you know, throughout her life. Um, she has found peace and comfort and success and happiness on the side of, you know, the world's most famous mountains. Mm -hmm. And so that is a natural place for her to go, for her to need that. Um, You know, her grandfather died in November. They were very close. It was really hard on her. Mm -hmm. And again, she said, you know, getting back on the mountain is when she started to feel normal. And so the times when she's, really struggled with depression 
and some of the issues she's had in the past are when she's been injured and skiing's been taken away from her and she didn't have that escape, that place that she could go uh, to sort of be happy again, if you will. Um, that's when she's kind of been at her lowest. And, you know, her sister said to me, I mean, it was not unusual for her to stay in bed for hours and hours and hours in a day. And they would have to sort of, you know, let's go to dinner or let's go to a movie or do something, uh, you know, when she was kind of at her lowest point to get her up and rolling. And uh, and I, I know I'm rambling, but, you know, the, the thing for me is with this story, that's what I wanted to pursue was Lindsay Vaughn, the human being. Mm-hmm. Because we all know what she's done. We've all seen, you know, the, the stunning photos of her on red carpets all over the world. Yep. Um, and, I, and I felt, much like I did, you know, two years ago with the piece I did on Michael Phelps, that really deep down, we didn't know who Lindsay Vaughn was. For all mm-hmm. she had done, who was she? And so that's what I wanted to pursue. And thankfully, you know, my editors and, and also, you know, our team at E60, this is a companion piece. Uh, there'll be a, a, a TV piece on her on February 18th with them. They invested the money, the resources to travel a lot to expensive places to mm-hmm. spend the time with Lindsay to build her trust in us to be willing to share some of those stories. Now, in also in the piece, um, to go in a little bit step after that, in the same moment you describe uh, while describing her Vail home as like a ski museum with all her awards and accolades and trophies and medals. You also very near that also have uh, Vaughn explain to you how she has spent Christmases alone and on the road in a hotel. And it seems that like these shelves and cabinets filled with all that is needed to sort of remind her why she keeps doing all this because the pursuit of getting all that, there really doesn't seem it lends itself uh, too much time to enjoy it. It just totally. step back 100%. at all. Yeah, you're spot on. So, you know, I'm not a, a huge skiing expert. I haven't done a ton of stories on it. And the thing that surprised me, uh, it's a lot less glamorous of a life than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, she spends a ton of time by herself. I mean, she doesn't have, you know, she's not married right now, doesn't have a boyfriend. Um, and, and her family, they all have their jobs. They can't be at every race. Friends are the same way. So a lot of times, you know, everyone that's around her is someone who is tied to her life as a skier. So, right. so, so maybe, maybe, maybe they're, you know, it, it's her physio, it's her trainer, it's her coach. It's people that that's the way they're tied. Not that they aren't friends, but she doesn't have people around her who aren't part of that sort of ski world, if you will. And I think, right. you know, she has sacrificed so much by, you know, by choice. This is what she's wanted. But mm-hmm. she sacrificed so much to try and win and be the best, whether it's relationships, starting a family, all the injuries she's gone through. She sacrificed so much that, yeah, you sort of, you know, you have to put those trophies up to remind you, like, hey, you know what? It was worth it because, you know, I got 15 globes in my living room that I look at when I have my orange juice every morning Uh, or whatever the case may be. It's it's not even obviously it's not even that it's not even that, uh, you know, that that much in the forefront of her brain. But, you know, I've met a lot of athletes. I remember Kurt Warner when I did a piece on him many years ago, you know, all his trophies and things he had won were like stuck in the back of a cabinet and like covered in dust. Right. And I thought that was crazy. Um, And and Lindsay's the exact opposite. She proudly shows everything she's won. And I think, you know, as you touched on, that's, that's a big reason why. 
Yeah, it's interesting to your point about the people she's surrounded with. You know, Bono from U2 talks about like his advice he gives to people of when you're becoming a little imbalanced. He says, go out to dinner or go sit down where you are and look around the room. If everyone there, if their financial well-being is completely tied to how well you're doing, he goes, you might be becoming a jerk. So you better be careful. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. A hundred percent. So, and she, and she had said, you know, after, after her divorce, from uh, Thomas Vaughn, she said there were Christmases where she'd be in Europe and she didn't, because of the schedule, wasn't able to come home. And literally, Christmas night would be training, doing, uh, you know, her, 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 her workout, you know, getting a massage or whatever physio work she needed, going back uh-huh. to the hotel and, and watching movies. And uh, there's several years like that. And so it's, it's not hard to see where, you know, someone like that, would struggle with the uh, personal side of their lives, right? Lindsay and I talked, you know, this is in the TV piece. Lindsay and I talked that, you know, a lot of the Olympic athletes that I know, and for some reason it's, it's Olympic athletes often, spend so much time focused on being the absolute best they can be mm-hmm. and, and gearing up for those, for, for whenever that that peak is, their their Olympic opportunity, that they don't take that t- that same time to develop themselves as people. And these are often athletes that start at a younger age, and, right. and Lindsay agree with that. And so you see someone like her, Michael Phelps, Bodie Miller, as they get older, as they get into their 30s and they, and they grow up and they realize what the world is all about, that's when they evolve and, and begin to understand better who they are. But certainly in their teens and 20s, a lot of those people, they have no idea. That's when they make you know, a lot of mistakes. And it's to your point about everyone trying to get like Olympic athletes. It's so much different than if you are, you know, as they say in American sports, like trying to get the ring, like of one of those, like of the four majors, I'm trying to get a ring. Uh, and it's a very every year scheduled pace and it's surrounded by a whole infrastructure of people where this is not. How much, um, is one of the pieces, uh, one of the parts you point out about the mentality that she was sort of raised in with her grandfather and her father. How, you know, there are two places in a race, first and last. How much can that really affect uh, her confidence? And by that, I mean, it reinforces it when she wins, but it can shatter it when she doesn't. Like, as illustrated when you pointed out when she crashed on uh, Lake Louise, I say, you know, but, you know, at the same time, month after hurting her knee, she came in 27th place to raise the, raise the white flag, as she said. So it seems like, as you, to your point, like she can now rein it in, but it seems that there's like a very delicate balance there between her confidence and knowing, like, listen, I just need to get to the Olympics, so I'm just going to just get through this, versus I'm now wrapped up in all the, you know, orange safety, <laughs> orange safety fencing. My knee hurts, and I'm pissed off. Right. No. No question. And that that is a super delicate balance. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons. We've seen Lindsey Vaughn in that proverbial fence with some sort of a significant injury uh, more times than not in recent years. Is her sort of inability at times to know when it's not her day and uh, her, her, her ski might be sliding in a way it shouldn't mm-hmm. and she should shut it down and instead she goes. Yeah. Um, this year has been a process you know, because of the, the crash she did have in Lake Louise of sort of managing her knee and getting herself to a point where she was going to be at her best at the Olympics 
and not doing anything to jeopardize that. But look, she had to wrap her mind around this idea of being okay with 22nd place or whatever it is, right? right. Like that's not her mentality. Her, you know, she was raised, and, and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, from her, her grandpa Don onto her dad, Alan, right into a big part of Lindsay's personality, I mean, she'll say point blank, when I race, I'm going to win or I'm going to crash, and I don't give a you-know-what. That's mm-hmm. it. Those are the options. And so she's had to sort of understand this year that, you know what, that other option crash isn't an option this year. Because if you it get, is and you blow your leg out, your Olympics are done, never going to go back there again because you're 33 years old. Right. And, and in a in the vein of the way skiing is, like you said, with the, with the windows every four years, and just the way it operates uh, as opposed to like team sports, you could almost – argue that the slight knee injury that she got is sort of like, you know, the, the cocky undefeated team who does lose one but not in the playoffs to kind of just wake them totally. up to like, hey, listen, yeah, you gotta pay attention. Yep. I think, you know, I, I don't know if she would agree with this or not, um, especially considering, you know, she's trying to chase this wins record and mm-hmm. certainly was on pace to win one, if not two more races that weekend in Lake Louise. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that, I think that exactly what you said, having that happen that first weekend was definitely sort of a, a rude awakening, if you will. You know, her dad said to me, he thought she was overconfident going into that weekend, just had an incredible summer of training. Her times and training were phenomenal. When I saw her, uh, the, the first time before Thanksgiving, I mean, she was floating on the air. She was so excited mm-hmm. about the season. And so, you know, he thought she might've been overconfident which can lead to, you know, the slightest of technical mistakes when you're going down the mountain, you know, in that case, being shoots at about 70 miles an hour, and boom, <laughs> next thing you know, you're in the fence. Um, and so I think, you know, and she was lucky uh, in many ways to get away without any significant, you know, ligament damage or anything like that. And that sort of said, okay, oh, my gosh, okay, hold on. We got we to gotta tap the brakes a little bit and, and pick and choose our moments when we're going to go for it, knowing that, what matters most when we're going to, you know, literally, you know, put this silver pedal on the floor of the car is going to be when we, when we go to Korea. And that's, and look, and I, I could see a situation where, you know, she wants to get Stenmark's record. She wants to ski for another year or two, but I'm telling you, I could see her win a gold medal in Korea in the next race, completely blow up and, and, and crash and injure herself. And that could be it. Um, I just, I mean, we'll see. She's, she's put a lot into, and, uh, you know, win, win, win or nothing, if you will, uh, in Korea. It'll be it'll make for good TV. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, should anything like that happen, regardless, I mean, she just she does seem like you said, like either I'm or either I'm flying down in first place or I'm crashing, the, you know, and all that. But, you know, in, in, and also her in her trainer. So her body is about 50%, 60% of what it once was. And now, yes, everyone agrees that that percentage is still better. When she brings that to the table, it's still elite and better than most. And while ACL repair is definitely not the career killer it once was, like there's still that lingering issue of chronic conditions down the road. And I know, Vaughn, I said to you at one point, I'm counting on the doctors. Like I'm counting on you guys. Like is is there – with the way she does approach it and with her and everything that's adding up, is there a fear for her future among her family or is it just a basically like do it to you can't mentality? So I would say it's, there's a combination of both. 
um, you know, the impression that I that I've taken away from my time with Lindsay is that when she's in that, you know, winter crash mentality, um, it's I don't want to use the word sickness, but she's she's a competitive junkie. She's mm-hmm. she's Jordan. She's Tom Brady. She's like she doesn't care at that point. She's going to win. That's it. And if she's not going to win, she do everything she possibly can. And if she ends up snapping her leg in half, oh well, um, it's only pain, right? Pain is temporary. She says all these things that you sit there and you're like, you're not a rational person. Um, <laughs> and she would admit that, right? Yeah. Um, and and also look, that's what makes her great is that she's mm-hmm. willing to take that risk and push that line and whatever it might be. Let's say four times out of five, pushing it that extra bit is going to give her the gold medal. It's that fifth time it's going to put her in the emergency room. She's willing to take that risk. As far as her family goes, it's interesting. Her dad, super competitive, hardworking, first place or last, that type thing. Mm-hmm. He's of the mindset that Lindsay will get Stenmark's record, uh, you know, perhaps next year, the, the World Cup wins record, and be content and sort of go off in the distance and, and, and start the next chapter of her life. Her her uh, her one sister Karen told me though that she has some concern that even when she gets that record, Lindsay will concoct something else that she has to do that she has to pursue that she has to prove and keep skiing. And she said to me, I don't think Lindsay will stop skiing competitively until she's physically unable to or unable to. So essentially, it's going to take another significant injury to basically end her career. So essentially the decision to stop is essentially not going to be hers, but somebody, but somebody who's first named as doctor before it. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and, and I think, you know, if you were to ask Lindsay, I'm not sure she, she might not agree with that. She doesn't know, you know, she, who knows what's going to happen. I think that she just, she's somebody who, you know, it was so fascinating. Mike, she said to me, she said, I need to break this record. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't you want to break it or it would be great yeah. to break it. You use the word need. I said, why do yeah. you need to break it? And, and I think it goes back to what you said earlier. When you've sacrificed so much, when you've got a, a, a 22-year-old prodigy who's already got half as many wins as you do and is, and is hot on your tail, when people have sort of questioned uh, your greatness, right? For much of your career, I need to, I need to sit there and say to all those people, look, I've got, you know, 89, 90, whatever it is, however many victories it is to prove, I think to not only them, but also to herself that she, that she is in fact the greatest, that she is, you know, during this era, the best skier, male or female sort of of this generation. She needs that. Do you feel though, even if she does get that, do you feel that she is even has the building blocks available for a successful transition or any life after skiing? So that's that's also sort of a you know a, a mixed question depending on who you talk to. There mm-hmm. are some people close to her that you know worry about what her life will look like without skiing. There are others who think you know she transitioned perfectly into television or other areas. You know, I think the one thing she has in her favor, and I, and I touched on this earlier, but it's her age and it's her maturity that she's mm-hmm. 
30, she's 33 now. If she mm-hmm. skis for two more years, she'd be 35. And the decisions that you make at 35 are far different than if she had to retire at 25. And, and we, and we saw that, we saw that, you know, Michael Phelps is, is a perfect example of someone who, you know, had all sorts of ups and downs and his, you know, his DUI issues and all kinds of things. But eventually he grew up, started a family and his life's in a great place now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm optimistic that, you know, Lindsay would, would do something like that as well. Having said that, you know, I think she leans on the sport of skiing as a pillar in her life, mm-hmm. uh, as much as a sport of skiing leans on her to be, uh, you know, a superstar and bring viewers. Right. And so I don't know what would replace that in her life. Maybe, you know, if at that point she, you know, meets a man and starts a great relationship and, and, and that kind of helps, you know, that would be great. She's talked about, she wants to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, you know, put that off, uh, for the sport of skiing. So, you know, perhaps motherhood, motherhood would provide that pillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, but to me, and, and, and look, I'm completely psychoanalyzing here, but to me, she'll need some sort of that sort of like stable pillar in her life to replace what skiing has been able to give her for all these years. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned how her knee blew up like a balloon at, um, and she wiped out, and then later her vertebrae slightly dislocates. And these are just a couple of things that happened while you were with her, let alone, you know, in her, her career of shattered this and broken and snapped that. Now, the story opens with her grandfather's funeral, and we know about how her father pushed her and, you know, you know, sort of paraphrasing little Talladega Nights, like second place is first loser. But yep. how much of her ability to get up and keep going when no one else would, you know, when she won the Olympic spirit medal, like all that, like how much of that comes from her mother and everything her mother's been through and sacrifice. Yeah, for sure. Yep. It's those two places. It's her, you know, on her dad's side of the family, her parents are now divorced, but on her dad's side of the family, it's her grandpa and it's her dad. Her grandpa worked in construction, like super Midwest blue collar, early mornings, late nights and established that in the family. You better become friends with pain. You're going to have it your whole life. Is one of his mantras, on and on and on. But her mom, and not a lot of people know the story. I didn't know the story when I started reporting uh, this piece. Lindsay's mom had a stroke in the hospital right after giving birth to her. Um, there was a 50-50 shot. She wasn't going to make it, um, mm-hmm. meaning uh, her, her Lindsay's mom, that she was going to die. Um, there were three doctors in the room. Two of them did not think she had a stroke. One of them did. And they ended up basically choosing the one who did and giving her that medicine that ended up saving her life. Wow. From there, she go, she was in a coma. She, uh, ended up in several months of rehab when she came out of her coma, had a complete, uh, left neglect, the inability to use the left side of her body. Mm-hmm. Um, and had to retrain herself uh, to walk, to use her left hand, all these sorts of things. Even today, here we are now, you know, 33 and a half years later, she still walks the limp. Mm-hmm. Um, life hasn't really been, you know, normal or entirely easy for her. She's broken, I, I think she said her left elbow, her left pelvis. She's just weaker on that side of the body. Mm-hmm. And so... And and in Lindsay, right? So you imagine being a kid who grows up with this. You don't know any different. That's just your mom. 
Right. And then as you get older, you hear like, well, your mom had a stroke. And like, well, what does that even mean, right? And Lindsay sure. said when she was a teenager is when she first started to sort of realize, oh, my gosh, like, look what my mom went through just to bring me into this world. Um, and all she continues to do, you know, to fight, to stay strong and take care of herself. She's a super healthy person on and on. And so Lindsay said, she told me, and, and look, this is, you know, it's pretty obvious, but she said, you know, whenever I'm going through rehab or I've got, you know, a, a knee or an elbow or whatever it is, I can push through because I know that through hard work and through time, I can get pretty darn close back to where I was. I know my mom can't get any, any better than she already is. That's it. And then I think about how much she went through. And then you throw in, again, the whole dad side of the family. And that's sort of the makeup of this, uh, you know, borderline, maniacal, hardworking, ruthless, uh, win-at-all-costs, nothing-will-stand-in-her-way sort of athlete. And, you know, as, as you and I know, being around these athletes, there are, there are many, many people who have the physical ability and the physical talent to be an elite world-class athlete. There are. Mm -hmm. What makes someone the best is what's between the ears, is their makeup. Right. And those are the ingredients that Lindsay had from day one that went in to building that makeup, to building, you know, a champion. And it's almost to several of your points earlier, like it's almost the thing that makes you that next level is we need you to be a little bit irrational here. We need you to, yeah. th we need you to put your safety on the line and just shrug your shoulders we, and all that and just, and be just laser focused. Now, when you talk about um, Lindsay's father and when they moved you know, they moved, the family moved from, when they realized Lindsay's potential, they moved from a a house near Minneapolis to a condo in Vail to much a much different lifestyle, financially and everything. And Vaughn's mother, back to, um, you know, her relationship with her mom, her mother points out it wasn't so much a joint decision as a command. And now while it worked out for Vaughn and for her father... Like he got what he wanted too, because he specifically says, "Like yeah, I'm living through her. Like I wasn't able to do this. I blew up my knee, you know, back when blowing out your knee meant you were done." And yeah. so, does Vaughn recognize the pressure? Like, does she feel the pressure still, or even speak to it that the life her family give up? Like, does this linger with anyone or her siblings? Because, or is everyone just kind of all in on Lindsay Incorporated? I mean, I know you point out at one point yeah. the 100 cards that they wrote for her to read are during that lonely time. I mean, that seemed like a real pure, very thoughtful moment of like, we love you. So here's the thing. The person who has the hardest time with the move and and, and it, it, it bugs them the most today is mm -hmm. Lindsay. Yep. Um, she and, 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 and I, if you go way back then, you know, 12 year old Lindsay Vaughn wanted nothing more than to move to Vail. Uh, you know, I think what she was unhappy about was the way it happened, you know, and her mom explained to me, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, this didn't make the story, but uh, I'll tell you a little, a little bonus here. Her mom said that the sort of decision was kind of made. They didn't tell the kids mm -hmm. and Lindsay and her mom went out to Vail in like September of that year to sort of train and kind of live out there a little bit and just kind of get a taste of it. The rest of the family came, I think it was for Thanksgiving that year, or a couple months later, and literally, you know, Linda says they're skiing one day, and Alan says to the kids, what do you think about living here? This would be great, huh? And the kids are like, well, yeah. 
<laughs> and then, the, and then the next day, he says to his wife, "Go to the school and see if you can get him in the school, right? See if you can get him enrolled in school starting here in the next, you know, semester or quarter or whatever it is, right? And okay. that's and yeah. that's literally how they ended up going there. And so I asked her, I said, "Do you think that was Alan's plan all along?" And she goes, "I'm not going to go there, <laughs> right? Like, so that you can draw what you want out of that, right? But right. you know, and he was like, and his thing to me was, look." Living in Vail, there's not a whole lot to complain about. There's a lot of people that love to live in Vail. And there's a lot of kids whose parents have to, or a lot of kids who move because their parents get new jobs when they're a kid. It happens. And, you know, we looked at it. This is an opportunity for Lindsay to do great things. She absolutely understood the pressure. Um, she wasn't happy. About, she was she, long term. I think she wasn't happy about it. I think the pressure was off half when she made her first Olympics in Salt Lake City and half the other half when she sort of won her first medals in Vancouver. That's mm-hmm. sort of, hey, look, this, this all worked out pretty well. And then her family, I mean, they all skied. Some liked it more than others. Um, but, but truthfully, and I believe them, um, none of them seemed to sort of have any issues. They were, you know, all in for kind of helping their sister do this. And, and look, there were times where they were uh, sleeping on the floor. You know, her mom said they had a family rule. They were not allowed to buy any groceries that weren't on sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were just all these things that they – and in Minneapolis, they had a a very nice, comfortable four-bedroom, sort of like quintessential American home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great, beautiful. And they sacrificed all that for, you know, at first what was a two-bedroom condo uh, in Vail. And and I think, again, most of them, they, they were okay with it. it was, Lindsay was the one who, to this day, she's like, I, I can't believe they handled it that way. And, and then they didn't even – you know, Alan didn't tell Lindsay that they had sold the house back in Minnesota until after the next season. I mean, it's crazy, right? Wow. Like, like she, that is crazy. I mean, from what? Yeah. I, mean, I know, I know like when you're a kid, your parents are in charge, but yeah. to, kind of do, to do it that way. But when he says right. that, though, in that situation, that's yep. a lot for a kid because she's yep. smart enough at that point to know, I know why you sold the house. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So... But in the end, and you know, and you, you touched on it too, Mike. I mean, the quote he said about you know living vicariously. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that, that, you know that blew me away when he actually admitted to me. And look, and, and Alan, Alan's uh, you know he, I, I, he might come off like a little bit of a uh, difficult character in the story. He's a, truly a, a genuine, loving guy who's just hard nosed Lombardi mentality. He's going to tell you yeah. when you suck, and he's going to give you a hug when you're great. And anything in the middle probably means you sucked. <laughs> um, but, but when he, right. But when he admitted, you know, like, hell yeah, I lived vicariously through my, through Lindsay. Like, of course, like, I, you know, that's, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's, you know, that, that he did it for him. I think he did it for her, but certainly you take great pride in watching your child do something like that. Who would not Absolutely. Now to paraphrase, uh, Lindsay's own words a little bit. You know, when as you spoke to her, as she experienced a couple of these newer injuries on the way to the Olympics, like she has a lot of miles on her odometer a little bit more now than she had planned at this point. Now, with the Olympics coming up, and then with the then the following the um, the World Cup seasons, and her leaving it all out there, uh, to like what we sort of spoke about before, but is do you think that? With the way that she's approaching this and in, in knowing that like she is not at the beginning of her career as she watches other people and responds on Twitter to uh, those who are chasing her. But do you think that at the end of all this, 
whether she reaches what she wants or not, because of her approach, do you feel that like whatever happens, she will be at peace? That's a great question. Um, I think yes and no. I mean, I think she will be at peace if she can get uh, another medal or two in South Korea. I think it'll be incredibly emotional um, with her. You know, she's going to have her grandfather's ashes uh, and a necklace around her neck. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's she he he fought in the Korean War. There are plans of bringing him back there. So I think that's one thing she really wants to do. And and you know, I've said she wants to win gold, but I think certainly uh, silver or even a bronze, she would be excited about their one, if not, you know, multiple medals, two, potentially three. Um, and then I think, you know, Stenmark's record, we talked about that. She needs to do that. Look, if she if she accomplishes both of those two things and the week after she gets Stenmark's record, uh, she ends up in a fence and something wrong with her leg and she's got to mm-hmm. stop and, and never ski again, I think she'd be okay with that. Um, I truly, truly do. Um, before that, I'm not so sure. Uh, I, I don't know. And, 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 you know, hopefully, you know, there isn't a situation where she's got to make that decision. Does she want to go through another grueling rehab or not? Um, you know, I, I joked with her in one of our interviews. I said, you know, I said, you're kind of like Humpty Dumpty. Like you're held together <laughs> by like tape. Bailing and, like, wire. She's, she's, and, yeah. And she's like, she's like, seriously. You know, I mean, like sometimes, you know, you watch her walk and she walks with a little bit of a limp and you're like, like, you're 33 years old. Like, you, not, you know, like, but you know, I mean, it's, it's not a normal, it's not a normal sport. It's not a normal thing to throw yourself down the side of a mountain at 80 miles an hour and hope you don't end up, you know, in, right. in, a, in a, in a mangled mess. But, you know, I think this is what she loves. This is what she sacrificed so much more. So I think, you know, if she's writing a story, it ends with, you know, the final chapter is the medals in South Korea, Stenmark's record, and then you walk off into the sunset. Whether or not that's what will happen, whether or not that's actually a decision she'll be able to make if she is healthy to just walk away, that's what we'll wait and see. Well, like you said earlier, Wayne, no matter what happens, it's going to be good television. It is. I'm sitting here talking to you, and I'm like, I want to read this story. Like, this is really interesting. What an interesting person. And I'm not just saying that. I'm like, oh, wait, I already wrote it. And the work is uh, done. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Somebody hit his head. So um, I want to wish you – thank you for all your time. And be safe and have a great time in Korea. Hopefully, may your phone and pen always be fully operational. I appreciate that. And I'm going to be a company man and do one last plug. February 18th, that's Sunday morning, I think 9 a.m. Eastern, E60. We've got all kinds of more great stuff with Lindsay, her mom, and her dad, her coach. Just really, really, uh, you know, a great piece that, that really had never been done on her before. Make sure everyone sets their DVR, especially Wayne, because he's excited to see a piece that he also did as well. <laughs> Thanks, Wayne. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we will be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.